Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest this time around comes to us from Bethesda, Maryland, by way of Eden, North Carolina. He is one Jason Bird, or Jay Bird. Jay is a description writer as well as a musician. He is a member of his own project, Jay Bird and the Musical Trust, Wavy Train, as well as an excellent Americana band known as South Rail. We asked Jay what he's currently working on creatively or what is currently inspiring him at the moment. Well, Jay has been performing fairly regularly. He's been writing and recording some demos as well as uh, doing some studio work. I'll be sure to drop a link into the show notes to check out Jay's various musical endeavors. In terms of any favorite sports or activities, he enjoys going on short hikes, but mostly just playing music and uh, taking the time to read. In terms of Jay's favorite TV shows to watch or stream, well, he said, well, recently uh, he's been into Outlander, The Mindy Project, Witcher, and on Amazon Prime, Falling for a Killer. On Stars, he's mentioned Dublin Murders. And in terms of favorite shows to stream, Drunk History, Frasier, and Old Key and Peele skits. We also asked Jay if he has any pet peeves, and he mentioned to us that he does not appreciate when people don't use their turn signals. People that don't use their turn signals suck. For our conversation today, we are going to be discussing the Black Crows and their 1992 record, Southern Harmony. Dot, dot, dot. You'll find out in a little bit what that dot, dot, dot refers to. Again, this is uh, the Black Crows' second release from 1992 on Deaf American. So, we have found ourselves in a very fortunate scenario here where the Robinson brothers have reunited and are going out on a short acoustic duo tour dubbed Brothers of a Feather in a few select markets before the Black Crows hit some of the bigger outdoor-type amphitheaters this summer. The Crows are planning to play all of their first record titled Shake Your Moneymaker and other classic Crows tunes, likely selections from an album in which we are about to discuss with Jay Bird here today. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest to the program. Jay Bird of Jay Bird and the Musical Trust, as well as South Rail. It is a pleasure to have you on program cover to cover today. Thanks so much for taking some time and talking about a record that, that means so much to you and your artistic craft. How are you? I am doing fine, Matt Tarka. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, for our conversation today, um, we're going to be delving into the Black Crows and their second full-length record, the Southern Harmony dot dot dot. And of course, that ellipse is and musical companion. Yeah. Um, 
Jay, where did it all begin for you? How did you, um, well, what inspired you to first choose this particular record from the Crows? And, um, uh, you know, just how did you, how did you discover the band as a whole? Well, let's see. uh, I can actually remember the exact moment that I first heard or saw the Crows, which was uh, I used to have this little band and I think it was middle school. So Shake Your Money Maker came out in 90, right? Yeah. I must have been in high school, like a junior or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember walking through the living room of this guy's house that I was, we were practicing, and he they had he had MTV on the TV. This is back, you know, in the 1990, early 90s when they played music on MTV. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hard to Handle was the video was playing. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. You know, I can't remember what else exactly was going on in ninety, but we were at the end of, you know, a lot of yeah. a lot of good music but a lot of bad music in the eighties. Vanilla eyes hair, you know. hair bands, you know. Yeah. Which I, I I used to love the hair bands in, you know, middle school and in high school, but it was always seemed a bit over the top to me. Um and here was like this band playing just like straight ahead rock and roll, um, like on M T V, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back then I wasn't buying a lot of albums because well, I didn't have a lot of money. So, well, some things never change. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I remember back then you could listen to the radio and hear most of the hits or the good songs off the records, you know, because it wasn't quite as consolidated, like, with, you know, one one company owning all the radio stations and making up the playlist. But right, it was a bit more diverse in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have to, you know, I, I think the first actually album that I bought by the Crows was Southern Harmony. And that would have been, you know, right after it came out, probably, 92. Um, so I was really into them. I just, you know, most of the songs that we all know from that first record were on the radio. Mm-hmm. And we're getting good play and we're in the charts and stuff. So I was familiar with all those songs. And I'm sure I had friends that had the record, so I, w- I could listen to it, you know, whenever. But I think when Remedy came out, that was when I was like, well, i got to go get this right now, you know. And the video for Remedy was just, like, mind-blowing to me. It's like, here's these guys dancing around in, like, 70s outfits. Chris yeah. is barefooted with, like, uh, you know, red... <laughs> yeah, like velvet pants. Red velvet bell-bottoms. Yeah. And uh, everybody's, you know, all decked out in this stuff, except, of course, the drummer, Steve, who's, like, got short hair and, like, a blazer on him. <laughs> Like, right, yeah, he, really, he he stuck out like a sore thumb. In that <laughs> but yeah, I mean that was you know I was into them before, but that that album just sort of felt more, much more like a leap forward. And you know, people would say, oh, it's like a rip off of the Stones and the faces and stuff. You could hear that the element in there, obviously, but it was a lot more intricate, intricate, you know, in my mind. Yeah, if you listen, to what's going on with the guitars and stuff? It's like. Uh, it's definitely blues-based rock, but yeah. there's some pretty heavy riffs in there. Yeah. You know, so it's you can see how it sort of crosses. And even in one song, like I'm sure we'll get to this, but like um, some of the more ballady ones at the beginning, like uh, The One in My Pride or mm-hmm. uh, what else? Um, B&B. Yeah, um, yeah. They start off like maybe sort of chill and then like progressively get harder and harder heavier and heavier uh so yeah you can see 
both of the influences there. Yeah. I'm sure there's guys like ACDC and stuff like that, as well as like the Stones and the Country Blues and all that. We're talking with Jay Bird of Jay Bird and the Musical Trust here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. And Jay, we've kind of alluded to uh, a few of the players in this band. Can you tell us who the vocalist and lead singer is and uh, who else rounds out this particular iteration of the group? There are a couple of newcomers. Uh, yeah, this is 92 from this, uh, well, okay, let's go back, I guess, and say who was on the first album. So you had sure. Chris Robinson, vocalist, and also played blues harp. Um, Rich Robinson, uh, his brother, on guitar. Uh, you had Steve Gorman on drums. That's like the core three that sort of came out of... Uh, I can't remember if, if Gormuth and Mr. Crow's Garden, so they had this band before they hit as the Black Crows called Mr. Crow's Garden, sort of morphed into the Black Crows. And then you had, uh, I guess, Colt, Johnny Colt was on bass guitar, and then you had uh, a guy named Jeff Cease on guitar, played on the first album. But by this time, the second album was uh, was coming to fruition, Jeff Cease gets canned. Um, and they bring in Mark Ford from a group called Burning Tree, and that sort of changed. You know, the dynamic was pretty set before, but this changed. Like the relationship between the guitars, I think, was much more Rolling Stonesy, sort of like a Keith Richards. Um, I guess you could say anybody that ever played with the Stones. But if you listen, like I think, especially on this album, usually I think Rich is like on the left channel, Mark's on the right. Um, and you can hear, you know, Rich is doing like, he's got the riffs, so he's got to keep the riffs going the whole time, so he can't do a lot of weaving. But then on the right, you hear Mark sort of interjecting guitar parts in between the little nooks and crannies of the riff and over top and stuff, so it's it's just a glorious sound. <laughs> yeah. And they're playing through these, you know, overdriven amps, not a lot of pedals, maybe a fuzz every once in a while. Um, so it's just, it's like my favorite sound for a rock band. Yeah. We also have Weird Ed. He makes his first appearance on a Yeah, yeah I forgot to continue. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> on the, on no. Southern Harmony. Uh, All good. Yes, yeah, so they bring in Eddie, Eddie Harsh on keyboards, who, you know, was like, I don't know, he must have been like 10 or 15 years older than these guys, at least. He was an older guy, been around, played with a bunch of blues guys before that. Um, but yeah, he brought the piano, the organ. Uh, we can talk about that on a couple of tunes that I think just high, sort of highlight the tunes. But yeah, you got Eddie and Mark. It was just like, you know, a lot of people's favorite lineup of the Crows, which would change, you know, a yeah. little little by little over the years. But, you know, mostly it's going to be Chris, Rich, and Steve up until, you know, a couple of years ago. This record was produced by George Draculius, I believe, uh, for Death American. And... uh just a, a bit of a non sequitur here. This was quite a magical, uh, magical year for him. You know, not only did he, um, he was also involved with Shake Your Moneymaker, um, but he was part of Southern Harmony, and he also recorded uh, a, another group that particular year that uh, was a real breakthrough, and that was uh, the Jayhawks Hollywood Town Hall. Yeah, great album yeah. also. Yeah. Which must be how, you know, Chris uh, ended up producing wasn't it uh, uh the not the Jayhawks but it was it maybe it was the uh duo album that they did later like a few years back 
Oh yeah, there's there was a oh gosh before I guess before the flood, Gary and Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they must have met about that time then. Maybe that's how they they got hooked up together initially was through George. Could be, could be. He was probably yeah. producing them the same year. Yeah. We're talking with Jay Bird here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka specifically about the Black Crows' second record, Southern Harmony, and. Mm-hmm. Hey, it feels like yeah. <laughs> I'll say it with you. I thought you were gonna keep going. Yeah. <laughs> what are what are uh, what are some of your favorite tracks on this record? Oh, man, that's hard. I I like every track on this album, which is pretty much why I picked this album. As far as not only was it, um, I guess I should backtrack and say at that time I was playing in a blues rock power trio, which was like I was you know me and the bass player. Carrie Brooks were into a lot of the same music. We went to the same high school. We ended up rooming together in college. We played like, uh, we were really into Cream, Hendrix, um, you know, a lot of late 60s power trio stuff. But we were also into Black Rose. We loved that. And so we liked, we played um, a bit harder edge than I've played in the last few years. So, you know, this album appealed to us. And we, you know, I tried to write some songs that were, more Black Crows-ish. It's harder to do with just a trio, but um, we did a few songs that were sort of reminiscent of that. And um, so it sort of brings together a time when I, you know, was playing music that was sort of similar to it, but also inspired by this at the same time. You know, when I discovered it, I was like, hey, this is something that I can really get into that's current. You know, it's sort of a throwback to the stuff that I I sort of grew up listening to on classic rock stations and, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's just an album that was, I don't know, it's seminal, I guess you would say, in my listening and, and musical development stages. Yeah. Just just out of curiosity, what was the name of uh, that project that you were in with Terry? That was called The Groove, with no E. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, is, um, is, is there any music that can be uh, found on the web or in your local rec shops? I don't think there is. We did record, um, I don't know how many total tracks we did, probably seven or eight at this place called The White Room in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, we never really had it fully mixed. Um, I did a couple years ago have have them transferred to from uh, reel to reel to, um, and was it that? No, it was just straight to like um, Pro Tools sessions or something. But that has since been lost, and I'll, I'm going to have to go back probably and either yeah. do another transfer because we had to bake the uh, tapes because, you know, they're like, that was mid-'90s. That was like 95, 96. Okay. So mm-hmm. this is like, what is that, 20 or 30 years ago? That's 20. How long ago is that? You said 96. Gosh, that's almost 20, 24. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what condition they were in, but, you know, my friend is a producer, and he baked them in his oven to get them. <laughs> yeah, and then, he, and then we took them uh, and had Mike Monsoor, who was in a, at Bias Studios, he transferred him. But something happened to the hard drive; we lost it. Um, I still have all the tracks, but they're not in. Di- they're like MP3s that were the original transfers, um, so they're still not mixed. Mm-hmm. At some point, I'm, I, I, you know, originally I wanted to mix them all, remix them all, and then put out an album. Or put them on a CD, or put them on a you know iTunes or something, and give everybody a link to it in case they're interested in hearing it. But 
that would be pretty. Not cool. until I get it mixed, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I'll privately send you some non, you know, some badly poorly mixed ones if you want to hear what it was like. But yeah, I'd love to. I'd love <laughs> to hear them. Yeah, that'd be great. We are talking with Jay Bird here in Who Is In Jay Bird and the Musical Trust, as well as South Rail, a great Americana band that uh, you all should find a way to listen to on your in your favorite way. It's all out there. iTunes, Spotify, three EPs, um, five songs each, I think. Yeah. For the South Rail stuff, and then I've got a couple of you know um, solo projects out there in the same out there on the internet. And uh, well, enough about me. Let's get back to the crows. Let's get back. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get back to the crows. Um, I will tell you a couple of my favorite tracks, even though I like. Sure. Like all of them, you know, Remedy obviously because that was the first one. That might have been the first single that came out. I'm not sure if that came out before Sting Me or not. Even though Sting Me is the first track on the record, the the tracks two, three, and four are like my favorite. Like just the the way they are placed after each other, and mm-hmm. just the, the songs themselves. You got Remedy, Thorn in My Pride, Bad Luck, Blue Eyes, Goodbye. Yeah. I think just it's just. The way they have like these two rockers at the beginning, Sting Me and Remedy, and then these two very chill, slightly funky kind of yeah. rhythmic, um, which start out sort of like ballads but get heavier. It's just a, a nice sonic ride, you know. Yeah, with Thorn of My Pride, I mean, it's like you said, the, the first two songs are just absolute rockers, and then it's almost like the crows are giving you some sort of a cool towel to dry your sweat off, you know? <laughs> That's... But that's the way I can I, I feel when I hear Thorn of My Pride. It's also one of my favorite tracks on this record too. I, I love that little hush that Chris Robinson gives, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. bring that groove into perpetual motion. And you got like some the percussion in the background. Um Yeah, it's just such a great song and the way the way that it's um it flows, like the arrangement of the song. It's uh you got your searing guitar solo in the middle and then this sort of gospel breakdown of the keys and these lovely uh background singers it's just like the perfect uh perfect bluesy rock song yeah and in and ed ed harsh he's got this kind of like saloon style piano in the breakdown that just that really just it makes my hair stand on end and then you you complement that with chris's kind of ad-lib vocals during more of the you know, gooier, jammier parts of a section of a song. It's just wonderful. Um, yeah, he's like the master of that. Yeah, that kind of like what sounds like extemporaneous, like just like making up things to sing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's probably it's mainly just repeating elements of the the chorus or something. But it's just like, yeah, that's exactly the right thing you should sing right now. His vocal stylings remind me a lot of kind of Joe Cocker in some respects. Late yeah, 60s. I can see that. The way he emotes and, you know, there's just a, there's a certain element just, just overall musically is, I don't know, I hear a little Big Brother in there. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Yeah, maybe, um, I'm trying to think of specific songs, but it's hard to, to remember. Um, like something off of like the, the Mad Dogs and the Englishman or some of the live stuff. Um, but then also, obviously, there's the comparison to Rod Stewart in Faces period. And, you know, like, timbre-wise, timbre, is that the right word? Tam- timbre, timber? Is it timber? 
or timbre. <laughs> ah, it can be interchangeable right now. The sound of his voice. <laughs> <laughs> the quality of his voice. The quality, sort of yes. Like huskiness. He's got like, uh, you know, that Rod Stewart sound to it. But I, I feel like he's more, not that he has more range, but he's, he does more with it, you know. Right. He's more dynamic and up and down and I don't know. I mean, that could just be the benefit of 20 previous years of listening to all kinds of rock singers, but yeah. that's Rod Stewart. But he definitely has a natural feel for how, how to put the words in, into the creative melody and words you know, like spontaneously. Do you think some of these songs could be autobiographical, or do you think that um, maybe some of the lyrics here are kind of, you know, pieces of experiences, maybe stream of consciousness kind of thing? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, I'm sure, you know, I remember hearing him talk about sometimes, no, not sometimes salvation. It was uh, was off the first record. He talks to angels. Mm-hmm. It was like it was about a girl that he that was in their circle. I don't know if he knew her very well, but it was just like you know you you hear about a story about someone and you can sort of relate to it or you know people like that, so you write a song about it. I'm sure, there was a lot of that stuff going on, um, sure. and like. The Wiser Time from the Morka album, you know, it's basically about being on the road. And uh, Gia, I wonder where he came up with that idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's got to be. So a lot of these songs on Southern Harmony are, you know, relationship songs, first person. So you, you got to think that a lot of it's autobiographical. But, you know, when you, you're a songwriter, when you write a song, even if it's not wholly true, you can sort of project or uh, embellish and, uh, you know, emphasize. Make protect, stuff up, protect, you know. the, <laughs> protect the identity. Exaggerate, you know, your your experiences or your emotions Yeah. for, uh, shall we say, literary effect. Yeah, absolutely. Or emotional effect. But, you know, I don't know. I haven't heard him really talk about a lot of these songs. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just talk a little bit about Remedy. You know, Jay, before our conversation, you mentioned the video of Remedy itself. And we were talking about just the, you know, kind of the demeanor of Chris Robinson. There's a lot of, you know, if anybody, you know, wants to to go back and revisit this video, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a stark, you know, blue background. And you just, you just have just a, a bunch of dudes that look like they're they're just having the absolute time of their life. It's like sort of a feels like a live situation, but it also feels like they're they're cutting this song in the studio, you know. Right. Real and they real. And a pretty good job of uh, of recreating like the the guitar parts and stuff. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, I've done it this a couple times. It's hard to play to yourself like if you, you know, you would know the solo, like if it's a guitar solo, you're mimicking on uh, on video. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to nail exactly what you did, so you have to like, oh, let me turn away a little bit so you can't see my fingers. It doesn't look like I'm playing a completely different solo. Um, but what I thought was fun about that video, because I was looking at it before you called, uh, you know, there's no amps there, there's no cables. Right. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like your classic... We're rocking out, but there's no amplification. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's like you wonder because you know they wanted to make it look like a cool band playing and they want to make it look authentic. Like, did somebody say have the idea we should bring our amps out and like the producer was like, nah, let's don't do any of that stuff. Or, yeah. or is it like tongue in cheek? Are they just like let's pretend like we're playing but there's no amps and people will be like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it it could be their way of kind of mocking the idea of lip syncing to a video. Or doing a video, maybe they didn't want to do videos. Like if we yeah. do it, we're just gonna stand you know, stand here and play it or jump around, but Yeah. Because it because it wasn't more than a year before that that you had that you know <laughs> I hate to to bring this name into the into the fold here but Milli Vanilli and that whole lip, <laughs> and that whole lip syncing scandal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe it had you don't know what was in the air then, but maybe it was something like yeah. that. Yeah, talking with Jay Bird of Jay Bird and the Musical Trust and South Rail here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. Jay, we're talking about Southern Harmony here from the Black Crows, their second full-length record. And um, are there any other tracks you'd like to talk about besides Remedy and Bad Luck, Blue Eyes, Goodbye, Thorn of My Pride? You know, Sting Me is a is a killer track. Yeah, I could probably talk about any of these songs, but let's see. Um, I think what, what stands out about all of them is, you know, Rich's guitar riffs, you know, like these things that start out the songs like Sometimes Salvation. Yeah. Um and I wish I wish I could play them while we're talking, but that's probably illegal. There <laughs> 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 might be one way to get Chris and Rich to listen to this podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what are they playing and how much they owe us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one in drop D or drop E? <laughs> Yeah, but just like the crunchiness of the guitars and like he ha- he does a lot of like ascending type riffs like do 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 and then uh, he's got a lot that like this uh, did I say yes, that was ascending? He's got a lot of ascending ones and a lot of descending yeah. ones that just sort of pull you in and, and uh, you just sort of have to go along with it because it's like you know you hear a major scale you, like somebody sings a major half of a major scale you your mind's like finish that scale please <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the stuff is like uh, you know moving up and down scales um which you know it's not anything majorly complicated or genius but it's just it just feels great, you know. Yeah. Especially with a bunch of crunchy guitars doing it. And you've got um, pr- primal screams and sometimes salvation too. Yeah, there's a couple of the songs where like sometimes salvation especially towards the end of the songs um Trying to remember the other ones. What is it? Um, you got Hotel Illness. Yeah, the, there was one specifically. Like it just sounds like his vocal cords are going to explode. <laughs> you can hear his voice breaking. And he's just like screaming. It's, it's slightly distorted. Um, sometimes Salvation is definitely one of those where he's screaming at the end. Yeah. And that sort of succinct ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. like. It's hello. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool resolve on that. And that's, that's the great thing about all these songs is they're so well crafted. But you get get the feeling from reading about it, they didn't spend a lot of time working on these songs. A lot of them were like being finished in the studio and stuff. Yeah. I, I, like how are they so well crafted and like they have these tight endings? Yeah. Um, like I'm sure they mapped them out somehow before they recorded them. But like you know the solos are just like. Just in the right spots, and yeah, 
it makes me want to go back and figure out like how many takes they did of solos and or if it was just like a couple and like, well, whatever they did, they nailed it, you know. Chris Robinson gave an interview right around the time that this album was finished to Jay Leno when Jay Leno had taken over for Johnny Carson. And uh, he's he's on record at least telling Leno that this was kind of like one long forgotten weekend and they cut the entire record in that amount of time. That just seems absolutely bonkers. It's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is pretty crazy. Um, I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of our favorite bands have done that, you know. And that's that's where the energy comes from, doing it all uh one song next to the other in a short time. It's like you there's a, a documentary about the band that I think it's it's like called the unofficial documentary or something where you got Levon talking about Rick doing I think it might have been Rick doing the Rick Danko doing the vocals to Unfaithful Servant or something like one of those songs. Oh wow. Um yeah. And how they did like a bunch of takes of it, like, I don't know, 10, 20 takes or something. And they go back and they listen to the first take and they're like, that's it. <laughs> it's like, it was just the very first take you did. They took. Yeah. After doing all these songs, uh, or all these takes, but. Yeah. It's like, chase, it's like that happens, right? As a songwriter, you're, you're always chasing either a first take or, you know, what you cut as a demo before you went into the studio trying to capture that same energy. Right, and that's that's happened to me a bunch. Like with demos, it's like you have a demo that you the feel of it is perfect, but yeah. there may be just like one thing that's off, and you can't. So you don't feel comfortable releasing the demo, but that yet it's hard to capture the original feel when you you know go to make the recording, like the official recording. Yeah, it's, it can be frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Even if there's like a little string that is just slightly out of tune, but it sounds really cool. Right, and even if you go back yeah. and try to replace that on the demo, it's like, yeah, it's not fitting in there right, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we're we're chatting here with Jay Bird on Cover to Cover with Matt Sarka. We're dissecting the Black Roses' second full-length record, Southern Harmony. And uh, Jay, I'd, I'd like to speak a little bit about, well, before I ask you this question, um, there is there is boundless energy throughout this entire record, and it just it kind of made me smile. I remember when I first listened to this that they um, decided to cover a Bob Marley track, Time Will Tell. You know, yeah. real stripped away from uh, 1978's um, uh, Kaya, which uh, featured other songs like Satisfy My Soul and This Is Love, or Is This Love, and uh, Running Away. Uh, really cool album from the late 70s from Bob Marley, and that was just a really nice choice cover. Yeah, and it does. If you listen to Marley's uh, version of it, it's, they don't really sound that much alike, you know. It's yeah. Like, it's nice that they didn't try to to cover it exactly the same way, and it, yeah. it seems like an afterthought. Also, like maybe they were just screwing around. Yeah. And decided to tack it on there, but you know, especially which I think about this too. Um, I don't know what your college experience was like, but it seemed like around. You know, 92, 93, uh, when I went to college, when I was a freshman, sophomore, everybody had a copy of Bob Marley's Greatest Hits. It was, it was like... Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's still like that. Is that just like your freshman initiation into music? Like, if you hadn't listened to much 
reggae or any other kind of music. Everybody's like you walk through your the door of your dorm and somebody hands you a copy of Bob Marley uh, record, you know? You know, I think it is, quite honestly. And, you know, that, that Greatest Hits album, it just it perfectly uh, encapsulates his whole career aside from the, the stuff that he was, you know, influenced by, like some of that early R&B stuff. Um, it's right. pretty much tackled everything from, like, you know, like 72, 73, you know, up until his um, unfortunate and untimely passing. Yeah, I think that is kind of a rite of passage, definitely. Yeah, and it's, uh, especially it happening, um, you know, like time, the, when I got this record, it was actually when I was, I guess, I was the first couple years of college, so I was exploring a lot of music. So okay, you had Marley, and then you got this record come out with a Marley song on it. So it's like, right. oh, there's another cool, that this band's awesome, man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> not only do they write great music, they... They choose cool covers. Yeah. Absolutely. Question I'm thinking about asking you right now is related to cover art specifically. And uh, <laughs> I knew this was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 coming. It's uh yeah, with with full force, reckless abandon. <laughs> <laughs> we we live in this wild world. Sometimes the wild west of, you know, um creative thoughts and processes are out there for everybody to enjoy and uh uh, music is no different. It's not immune to, to, to the fast cycle of activity. And um, it's easily accessed. And, you know, but what, one thing that just remains is there's always some sort of cover art supporting new music that's out there in the world. When you look at this, when you look at the front cover, what, you know, and, and the back cover as well, uh, what what is conjured up in your mind when you look at this second helping from the crows like what what imagery comes to mind first well i mean it's like it definitely looks like well first of all it's like i'm thinking i want to be in this band and i'll see these guys lined up on a dirt road uh you know i'm not sure it's hard to tell what the situation is and it looks almost like a junkyard but it also looks like a war zone like an iraq Iraq or something right right um Maybe it's a car that they unfortunately crashed. I mean, there's like three or four cars turned over in the background. So like, and th- and then there's like, are those houses a little further back, or is that I can't tell what's going on? Some kind of buildings, but there's a car driving towards them, or unless it's sitting there and it's just not flipped over. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, so anybody listening should pull up the cover so that <laughs> on the internet, if we have the CD, bring it out while we're talking. Because yeah. Um. It's real stark, right? I mean, it's kind it's of very, and wall. yeah, yeah. But it's 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 got the junkyard feel, though. But it's like the junkyard dog, like down in dirt, down in the dirt and gritty. It's got that kind of feel to it, also. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like, okay, look at the way they're dressed. They got these like seventies big collar jackets and a wide brimmed hat, and there's Steve, of course, in his black blazer and white shirt again. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a nice shot. It's a nice shot, and the you know the text is kind of interesting. You've got the name of the record in cursive, real kind of ornate looking, and then it's almost kind of framed by almost like a like a leather bound storybook. You've got this old English text that's spelling out the name of the group. It's just sort of kind of a you know contrarian in a lot of ways. Right, and they're they're uh, the font of their the the band name is almost like. Uh... Uh, Renaissance, medieval kind of, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, uh, really hard edge, curvy and pointy and hard edge at the same time. 
But we should probably also say that this is the title of the album comes from a, a hymnal, the name of a hymnal that was popular, like in the in 1800s or something in the South. Yeah, really. So yeah. they so they got the tie back to the history, and I'm guessing that this scene, you know, I've, I've never even looked up the the location of this uh, this cover, but it's probably somewhere in Georgia. I'm thinking. Uh huh. Maybe it's in Athens or Atlanta or outside. Um, but yeah. It's a very cool cover, and in contrast, now I'm looking at the CD, so I'm assuming the same is, I think I do have a reissue of the album, but I did not have the vinyl when it came out. I think I bought it on CD, but I'm assuming the back cover of the vinyl, the original vinyl, is the same as the, on the CD, which is, you got this sort of meadow or roll of rolling hills, grassy rolling hills, is this? Are we talking about the same picture on the back? We, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I don't even know how to describe this. Do you want me to try to describe it? Please do. I think our okay. listeners will appreciate it. Okay. You have. Uh, it's actually obscured by the text. Now, I wonder, let me see if I can find, because now I'm curious, because I have the cursive writing in white over the photo, which is like in a circle, it's a circular photo cropped in a circle. Uh-huh. Let's see if I can find. Do you have the vinyl? I don't, sadly. I only have the CD version. All right. Well, I'm curious now. If I, can, I don't even know if I can find it this fast because it's hard to see. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so let me just go with what you I have the, the the song titles and cursives in white uh, uh-huh. over the picture itself of a female, young female, uh, with her lying on her back on this rolly hillside. It's a grassy hillside. (laughs) (laughs) A rolly hill? A rolly. (laughs) Uh, We'll start calling hills rollies now. We're going over rolly. Um, And she is nude with her legs parted and her arms spread out, lying on the back, and basking in the sun, I guess. Um, And she is, uh, how would you say, a natural uh, in the natural, I don't know how else to say that. Um, Al natural. Al natural. Uh, it's an interesting choice for any band, I would think. I don't know what the relationship is to the band or or the music, except to say maybe it's uh, earthy, rootsy kind of music, organic and. Obviously, there's sort of like a throwback to the 60s and 70s kind of free love, uh, being, uh, being I don't know, being natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, back then, of course, being a college you know, freshman or sophomore, what what I was, I was be like a 20, around, around 20, I guess. I don't know what it was, 1920, in, 21. In, in 92. 92. Yeah, I mean, I could do the math, but I don't want to. Um, I'm thinking, wow, this is a cool cover, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't date well, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially, you know. I, and you talk about the Amorica cover, which was the next next album. Oh, my. More, it, yeah. Similar image on the front, on the front cover. It's as if the back cover was, uh, you know, testing the boundary line. Prelude, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could get away with a lot of stuff in the 90s if you were a rock band um, and before. 
But yeah, it is an interesting photo. Uh, like if I'm listening to this record or Morka, now Morka did have a, a more um, a cleaner version of it, which was like a, I'll just try to describe it. It's a the front of a woman's like where she's wearing a bathing a bikini with an American flag on it. And I can't remember if the flag is like oh yeah, it's just like a normal flag. Yeah. <clears throat> but there was a, a cleaner version with just I think it was just the uh, bathing suit and okay. like a no person in the background. You know, it's just like the Anyway, if I'm listening to either one of these records at home, I make sure to flip over the inappropriate cover. <laughs> put it, you know, put it down so the kids won't see it when they're walking through. Right. Like, what are you listening to? <laughs> Conversation not meant for a dinner table. It's hard to explain to. Yes. Yes. But uh, you know, it doesn't detract from the music, and I'm not going to make a judgment either way on whether it's whether it's I value it as art but um I you know I, I don't I did it at that time when it came out I was like well they're making a statement don't know what statement it is but they're definitely making a statement Jay Bird it has been wonderful to not just catch up with you but to talk about a real pivotal record um and and really bringing true rock and roll back into the public consciousness well, there is so much more you could say about all of these songs and uh, Black Moon Creeping, driving song with the crazy guitar solos and the awesome vocals, and it's uh, just like down in dirty rock and some really great, beautiful ballads. Uh, that you could even talk about the photos in the in the inside folds. Uh, it's sort of Exile on Main Street ish, you know, with the in the studio kind of stuff. Um, you know, back back when CDs were more popular and, and albums, when you could open them up and look at the lyrics and the photos, I would spend hours, yeah, just looking at it while you're listening to it. You know, absolutely. You you found ways of connecting with those images, and they just they really sometimes would really they would really hammer home why you're why you're really digging a song so much. Right. But it gives you more insight into the band. You know what photos they chose if it wasn't of them yeah um, there's a lot of crazy photos in here of like skeletons and looks like some kind of almost like a hindu shrine or something i don't even know what that is uh <laughs> yeah and, and then live performance shots performance shots from the yeah. studio uh another cool uh shot from like the so whatever we're calling it the junkyard or something right band photos just uh it just sort of brings you closer to the band or the image of the band. But, you know, this is, I don't think this is a band that dressed, just dressed like this for photo shoots. You know, at this time, they probably were, you know, walking around town like this, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it <laughs> Wide is. Wide-brimmed hats and uh, yeah. bell bottoms. Yeah. Which I tried to do in college, and I'm sure people looked at weird at me, too. I had long, really long hair and, like, bell bottoms, and it was, like, 1992, and people were like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of great stuff on here. We could almost do part two on just this album, but yeah, there's so much great music out there still being made. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure, man. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on the program and talking a whole bunch about the Black Crows. Thank you. Thanks very much for for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And if you uh, if you're not familiar with the record and you like rock and roll, check it out. You might find a new favorite. Uh, you know, I go back to this like I go back to one of the band albums or a Dylan album 
or, you know, any of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash, any of the greats, um, Exile. It's, I think for me it's right up there. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Matt. All right. My thanks to Jay Bird for taking some time to stop by cover to cover today. For all you listeners out there, thank you so very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to those favorite podcasts of yours, whether it's on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, perhaps tune in. Take a moment to tell your friends and family about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. It certainly will help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us today as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.